0: Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you all today in community and in the Word. And we're we're continuing in our worship series on mending life, and we're going to be in the book of Matthew, and we're going to go to that in just a second. But this past week, um, this past week, I was given the gift of some fruit, and it brought me back uh, to my childhood. I remembered some of the fondest memories I had as a small child. Were actually at times playing outside with my sister in our yard, and um, we lived in this little island called Palawan, and we were surrounded by lots of fruit trees. So uh, the disadvantage of this is if you were hungry and you'd go tell your mom, I'm hungry, she'd just say, go pick a guava, (laughs) which we did, we picked lots of guavas. And um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. We had a guava tree in our front yard and then a, like a water pump in the backyard. Like those metal ones that you have to like prime to get water out of. And those are a little dangerous. My friend Jordan uh, cut his finger off um, at his pump in his yard. And so we kind of stayed to the front yard with the guava tree because like it wasn't very tall, nothing really bad would happen, except for the day I bit into what looked like a wonderful guava and I experienced this right here. Not sure you can see this picture. Oop, oop. I think we got to move it. I'm not sure if it's on. Oh, oh, okay. So I don't actually have a picture of it because I was like four years old in the Philippines in the 1980s. My mom might have a slide somewhere. I don't know. So it's from Shutterstock. This is a guava. And if you look really carefully amidst that Shutterstock logo, you might see a worm. Do you see the worm? Yes. Well, that's my memory. (laughs) My memory is of biting into it and finding the worm there and being like, oh, I should have played with the pump in the backyard. (laughs) It was a bad memory. It almost ruined guavas for me. Um, And then I, I moved to Hawaii after college and discovered that you can have guavas without having to eat a guava. Guava jelly, guava jam, guava syrup. So it redeemed guava for me. But today's text that we're gonna be looking at is filled with really rich imagery and a sense of danger. This imagery of good and bad fruit. Of course, I imagine guava. Sheep and wolves and trees on fire. And then there's this unexpected picture of disconnect and distance. It's been called one of the the scariest passages in scripture. uh, That came up in a few commentaries I read this week. And I was like, hmm. Try being a woman and reading scripture, Mr. Commentary Writer. This is not a scary passage. There are scarier ones out there. So this text has been used to interpret, maybe uh, some of you have experienced it, interpreted in ways that felt like it brought death. It felt anxiety producing. And I think that just gives us added incentive to interpret it well. So while we're going through this passage, take note of how you're feeling. Uh, take note of any questions you have and write them down because what we do here together in this time is just the springboard for your own study, your own time of wrestling with with the text, and in this this case, what the teachings of Jesus are. So write it down. Don't be afraid of your questions. Um, God God has good things for us as we sort of lean into even the places that disturb us or distress us or make us wonder. So as I mentioned earlier, we are going through a series um, called Mending Life. And we are almost done. Uh, we, have, we have one more week left of moving through the Sermon on the Mount. And um, we are also in the church season of Lent, which we'll talk about in just a second. So we have all these things kind of converging in on us here as we approach the end of Jesus' teaching. And in this in the Sermon on the Mount we've been going through, we've been seeing how, how God moves to mend us. And how all of Jesus' teaching here has to do with some particular way that we need to be mended. Something has come out of alignment. Something is broken that God is wanting to mend in us and in the world. Whether it's our relationship with our, how we relate to enemies. Or whether it's how we relate to scarcity or to resources. Or h- how we relate to each other. This whole teaching of Jesus has to do with the kind of mending life God is about in the world. In us and around us as we together build the kingdom of heaven with Jesus. So with that in mind, let's just go ahead and jump into the text. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 23 today. You can follow along on your phone. Um, You might have a bulletin to be able to read along with, or you can just follow along with me. Um, The words are up on the screen. Matthew 13, 13 through 23. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn brushes, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now typically when we approach this text or we learn from this text, it's interpreted as teaching on on eternal salvation and on end times, right? That's the discussion of like the narrow gate and road that only a few find has been interpreted as only some people finding the road to eternal salvation through Jesus, who is the gate, which is Luke's metaphor for Jesus. There's this also implicit idea of a day of reckoning in the text, right? People, prophets, leaders that look safe are revealed as actually, their true selves are revealed, revealed as being wolves in disguise, right? They're like trees that are cut down and burned. People who think they've been living in service of God find out that they're on the outs. So I, although there are plenty of scary passages in scripture, I actually don't think this is one of them, unless you're a wolfish prophet, and that neither do I. I really believe this is just a discussion on end times and the day of judgment. But rather there's something for us right now in it. See, part of being a good student of the word is interpreting scripture through scripture. So in the book of Matthew, Matthew has a very distinct theological focus he's trying to bring to our attention, right? We've noticed that again and again, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven to talk about the kind of in breaking realm of God into our reality right here. Not something that's just far off for you know, end times or end days or kingdom of heaven you know, when, when heaven comes to earth, but something that is beginning right here among us through the person of Jesus, a new way of living, a new way of bearing witness, a new way of bringing good into the world for ourselves and for each other and saving ways. So this passage, I believe, actually reveals Jesus' heart for us to experience God's saving ways now and in the world to come. Now, and in the future. And Jesus is using escalating language because he is driving home the need for discernment, to watch out, he says in verse 15. And friends, we need to watch out because we are surrounded by ways that are life-taking. We are surrounded with wolfish leaders. Although our hearts are with Ukraine now, and we're going to be praying at the park later on today, we'll send—I'll send out a pin and put it on Facebook once we find a place in Magic Island where we can meet. Although our hearts are with Ukraine, the truth is there has been war in our world for a very long time. Just in the last year, the devastating civil war in Tigray has forced two million people from their homes, pushed the country into famine, and decimated seventy percent of its hospitals. There's a civil war ongoing in Myanmar, right? The majority of the population is actually fighting to regain control of their country from the Myanmar military who took over the fledgling democracy government one year ago. And then there's the embattled Ukraine, fighting to keep their nation free. All around us, friends, we are faced by people who in big and small ways are walking a destructive road, perhaps one they didn't even pick for themselves. They're following wolfish leaders who care nothing for them. Only their own self interest. And none of this, of course, is new to human history, right? This is the story of human history for a very long time. And we look at Jesus' own ministry, right? The context Jesus is preaching from is set against a backdrop of occupied Israel, the bloody, thirsty empire. Roman Empire intent on more land, more power. So Jesus is already speaking within a hotbed of unrest. And into that world and our own world where there are so many life-taking ways comes this warning of Jesus, this desire of Jesus for us to live in ways that are life-giving, for us to follow people who are life-giving. So we have three, we have three pictures in our text, right? We have the, the narrow road, and, and gate, narrow gate and road, and then you have the, the broad gate and road, so that's the first picture we have. The second picture is that of wolf in sheep's clothing. You might have heard that before, even without reading this text. It's such a vivid picture that it has, like, gotten into a lot of our literature and even just our ways of talking. You might say, oh yeah, they're wolf in sheep's clothing. If you ever wondered where that came from, it's from the teaching of Jesus. It's a very vivid image. The third one is this idea of fruit, good and bad fruit, alternate kinds of truth, of, of, tr- of fruit. And all of these are extension of Jesus' teaching from last week. And if you remember, last week we talked about how we're not called to judge, but we are called to discern. So all of this is part of Jesus' ongoing discussion on discernment. So today, if you're here in person or listening online, and you're not sure if you've taken the right path, you're like, things have been really bumpy recently, and I'm not sure if that's a warning from God or just simply the path I'm on. I'm not sure I'm on the the right way. Maybe if you're unsure of who to listen to, right? There's all these newscasters and celebrities and pastors and podcasters and teachers and spiritual and political and social leaders. Like, who do I listen to? Who's bringing me nearer to the way of Christ, God's life-giving ways? Who is simply a wolf in sheep's clothing? Maybe you're listening today and you've actually experienced harm from wolves in sheep's clothing. You've been bitten, you have scar tissue. Please know that these words from Jesus are to bring you into life. Jesus is the the most good and wise, truth-telling and loving person ever to walk this earth. With the best intentions, with God's own heart. And Jesus wants to mend you. Whether you've been bit by wolves, whether you're following wolves or entrapped by them, whether you feel you're on the narrow path or not, Jesus wants to heal you and bring you into God's life-giving ways. Keep you from harmful ways that destruct. At the beginning of the year, um, Dan and I went on a family field trip. And we went with some friends. And we went to Caena Beach Park. And um, it's actually Caena Point. So here's a picture of it. I did not take this photo. This is totally a stock photo from online. I can't zoom out that far. And it's from the other side of the island. We did not make it to that side. <laughs> now, if you're driving there, you'll get there. There's a park. Um, it's sort of like a, a dirt parking lot. And then there's all these beautiful trails and walkways heading, um, heading out from it. And some of them are, are closer to the beach. Um, some of them are narrow. You see this one right here? This is sort of like a narrow path. We're all kind of clustered together. And some of them are, are, are wider. Oh, there's Dan taking a photo. He's having so much fun. It was beautiful. Um, Here's a really broad road. You can see how it's really broad. So there are all these different trails, and some of them lead you closer to the mountain, closer to the water, some sort of like abruptly end, and you're like, oh, I don't want to go in that ravine. So it's a little tricky, right? You're trying to follow a trail that will bring you further to the point but not bring you into disaster. (laughs) So there we are. Um, We weren't too worried about getting lost, but as we're walking, we realized that the sun was setting. It was getting dark. And I don't know if you can see on this photo, but there's a tiny little moon rise there's this like big kind of cavernous road and there's this little drop of a moon. The moon started coming up and the sun started setting and we realized we were not going to make it to the point. (laughs) We were not going to make it to the point. It was like quick everyone stop, turn around, go back to the parking lot, all hands on deck. And I think I was feeling more anxious than the other people. I don't know, probably because I didn't bring a flashlight. And so I started moving fast. I had one kid with me. And um, I only had my phone, so I was trying to like, not stumble in the dark, and I didn't want to use the phone just in case, like you know, for light, just in case I needed a call for emergency help. So I'm there, making my way through the dark, and it's getting darker, trying to get to the parking lot, when suddenly I hear the words, Mom! Mom! I turn on, I have my flashlight on, I finally turn my flashlight on. I turn on my flashlight, hear the phrase, Mom! Mom! I turn around, and Andre bursts out of the darkness. Our youngest child, with a large stick in his hand, he picked up to protect himself. (laughs) He looked absolutely terrified, covered in sweat. He had gotten separated from the other group (laughs) and had been running to try to find one of us. And when I turned on my little flashlight, he was able to find me. That was like scary for him and scary for me. And I realized it's like the third. Getting Andre getting lost story I've told you. I think that's like the total number of times I've lost and found him, but there might be more. He's an adventurous little kid, and he's also the third kid. Poor guy. So once he once he joined us, his whole demeanor changed. He was no longer scared. He dropped the stick. He knew he was with mom. And there I have to lie. I'm still feeling anxious, feeling my way through the dark. He's right behind me, walking in my footsteps. It was a narrow path, but we got there. Safely, and he was a little more eager to follow because he had gotten, you know, would <laughs> gotten separated. <laughs> and friends, when you read Matthew's book, when you look at Matthew's theology as a whole, you can see that Matthew thinks of the Christian life not as a once-for-all f- decision you make and then you're like good to go, but he thinks of the Christian life as more a path or road of righteous living. And yes, it has a beginning; but it has a beginning point where you make the decision to follow Jesus as a disciple. But there's this whole journey you make along the way until the final goal of salvation where the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. So to Matthew, every single day we have a decision to make as to whether we will follow Jesus in creating and sowing kingdom culture, whether we will follow Jesus on the narrow path. And sometimes we're locked in step with Jesus. We're right behind him, like Andre behind me when he finally caught up. Some days, friends, we are not. Some days, we're sort of stumbling in the darkness, trying to find the road. This brings us to number one in your notes. As Jesus moves to mend us from falling ways and people that bring harm. So number one in your notes, first bullet point is, I experience God's saving now and in the future when I daily discern Jesus' kingdom pathway. I experience God's saving now and in the future when I daily discern Jesus' kingdom pathway. When Jesus says, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it, he's not saying that only a few people in the final day in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying that. You know how we know that? Because there's all these other places in Matthew where Matthew says many will be saved. In chapter 8, verse 11, Matthew says, um, this is Jesus talking, I say to you, there are many who will come from the east, and west and sit down to eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So is it few or many? It's, it's many. What about this one, Matthew 20:28. 20, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this whole idea is that God has come to save many and will save many. In fact, we know from other scriptures that Jesus is drawing the whole world to himself. And we have a choice. And the choice we have, friends, is not whether or not, you know, we have a ticket with heaven stamped on it when we die. That's one of the choices. But the choice here that Matthew is holding up is, will you walk the narrow road in the meantime? Will you walk behind Jesus in ways that bring life? And sometimes, friends, that narrow road, it feels narrow because it's a tight squeeze. It feels narrow because it is narrow. Right? This task of daily discernment, to discern what Jesus has for us, what it's like to live as a citizen of the kingdom now that leads to our flourishing, the flourishing of our neighbors, it is a tight squeeze. right? If you just took a step back right, and we looked at the, the Sermon on the Mount, as a whole, it starts in chapter five. Please feel free to read it through this week as we get ready to end our series on this teaching. When you look back throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, it can feel like a tight squeeze to love your enemy while responding to them in ways that leave space for transformation. It can feel like a tight squeeze to believe that meekness is a way of inheriting the earth and to encounter the enemy unarmed. It can feel like a tight squeeze to perceive other people as being deceived and wrong but not judge them or sentence them. It feels like a tight squeeze. I'm reminded by um, what one of my favorite theologians said, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and many of you have heard me talk about him before, but he was part of the Confessing Church, which was the, the minority Christian church who stood against Nazi Germany and Hitler's policies because the majority of the church... Fell hook and sinker for Hitler's authoritarian ways. He promised them safety, that they would be able to worship God how they wanted, as long as they didn't say anything bad about him. So here we have Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's faced with all these unthinkable, like ethical decisions he had to make. How am I going to be as a Christian in the middle of this war? How am I going to be? How am I going to resist? This tide of evil that's around me. And every single day he had to make all these ethical decisions. And you know what he said talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and this narrow road? He said, it is an unbearable road that we are only able to walk because we can see Jesus walking ahead of us. That makes all the difference. Friends, sometimes the narrow road feels like a tight squeeze but it's forged by the one who has done the will of the Father in heaven, verse 21. It is forged by Jesus, who is not anxious, who doesn't need to have a special flashlight on a phone, who isn't trying to get anywhere, you know, before dark. Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. God knows what God is doing. Sometimes it feels like a tight squeeze, a bit unbearable. And that's when we choose the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance is the broad path. This is the one that many take. And honestly, I take the broad path a lot of the time. I take the broad path in my parenting. Following the path of least resistance means, you know what, let them be on their screens another hour. You know, let me finish up some work emails. That's a path of least resistance path of more resistance would be to be like, wait, how can I manage this a little bit better so they're not on their screen? So it'd be a path of a little bit more resistance. So I pick a path of least resistance. Or with eating. Friends, I am embarrassed to tell you that I ate at McDonald's twice this week. (laughs) Two times. Dan was on the mainland for a conference, the first time he's been gone since COVID hit. And I was alone with the kids and had, you know, regular work to do and the sermon to write. And so a couple times I chose the path of least resistance. I do not have time to cook anything and we are going to go to drive through. And um, the first time I did not regret it at all. I was like, that was the wise decision. The second time I felt a little junk. I was like, mmm, twice in one makes a little bit much for us. (laughs) See, the path of least resistance is easy. It's right there in front of us, it's so broad. And yet we know from Jesus' teaching that that is not the way that leads to our best flourishing and the flourishing of others. So here we are, friends. Every day we get a daily discern the path. Am I gonna choose the path of least resistance, whatever that looks like for me? Am I gonna choose to lean in where there's a tight squeeze? and follow Jesus' way of life for me. Not because I'm afraid of my final, eternal destiny, but because I want to live in ways now that bring to life, as well as ways later. This past Wednesday, um, we did begin the season of Lent, which is a period of 40 days leading up to um, us remembering Jesus' death on the cross, and us celebrating his rising from the dead on Easter Sunday. It's traditionally been observed by Christians of of all different stripes and colors and kinds. It's this 40-day period, a long time in biblical speak, where we lean into the uncomfortableness of our lives and ask ourselves, where have I chosen the easy way? How can I repent and return to God with my whole heart on this quest? for emotional and spiritual and physical wholeness and healthiness? How will I repent and turn to God with my whole heart? There's this wonderful book, a spiritual formation book, written by um, Ruth Haley Barton. And in that book, she asks that question. You know, in Lent, we ask ourselves, how will I return to God with my whole heart? And then she says this. This begs an even deeper question. Where in my life have I gotten away from God? And what are the disciplines, the spiritual work that will enable me to find my way back? What are the disciplines that will help me find my way back? Is it scripture reading? Is it contemplative prayer? Is it meeting with others and having accountability and sharing my life? Is it being aware of injustices around me and leaning into those places of pain instead of stepping out of them? What are the practices that we see disciples of Jesus doing for thousands of years? What are some of these practices that will help bring me, bring me to return to God with my whole heart? So friends, today, just question, what is the narrow road for you? What does it look like for you to stay engaged in your mind, soul, in your gut? What does it look like for you to lean in, choose the path of more resistance? That's number one in your notes. Number two in your notes. I experience God saving now and in the future when I avoid following wolves in sheep's clothing. I experience God saving now and in the future when I avoid following wolves in sheep's clothing. And here we get to this whole sort of the heart of the passage here, Jesus teaching on discernment. Jesus is teaching this because he really wants to protect vulnerable disciples from those who would profit over them. Over fear, uh, use power, especially supernatural power for their own gain. And so there's so many stories of wolves in sheep's clothing, and I'm not going to even go into them, because we all carry them, or I would say most of us carry them within our souls. We carry scar tissue. We carry pain. I remember my grandfather, um, my wonderful grandfather, stopped going to church. Uh, in the late 80s and 90s, after the fall, the very public fall of like Jimmy Swaggart, and um, there's another televangelist too, I think it was Jim Baker, the PTL television empire. There are these huge scandalous stories, and after after those stories broke, my grandfather was like, you know what, I can't trust Christian leaders anymore. It's just too hard for me. I empathize with that. He had some serious scar tissue. Every single decade has had its scandals. Right, in more recent days, many of you have even followed along listening to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. Right, there's there seems like there's daily revelations of of toxic leaders who demand all in allegiance, who resist accountability, where there's people like Bill Hybels or Mark Driscoll or Robbie Zacharias. People bent on kind of keeping their power and are willing to bend facts and stories and scripture to manipulate and persuade others. And friends, Jesus wants us to be protected, protected from wolves. So, Jesus gives us some advice how to tell who is a wolf. So, how can you tell who is a wolf and how? Jesus tells us this that our words and our actions reveal the true self, just as fruit of a tree reveals what kind of fruit it is. Jesus says this in verse 16 By their fruit you will recognize them. That's by their fruit you will recognize them. This is how we recognize people we want to follow, people we can do life with, and people who we should stay away from, uh, in love. <laughs> and I have to say, when I read this from Jesus, I'm a little, I'm a little like annoyed. Like, thanks Jesus, that's really helpful. Cause that's way easier said than done. That is way easier said than done. Some fruit looks great on the outside. I used to eat guavas as a kid, and every now and then I was sorely disappointed. It was not the same on the inside as it was on the outside. Fake, shiny fruit is really easy to manufacture, too. And from a distance, it all looks the same. I love this drawing by Sky Jatani from his book, Um, What If Jesus Were Serious? And you might not be able to see the whole thing, so you might have to kind of, like, lean in. I'll read it for you. Uh, But it's this picture of Christmas tree Christians. And Sky Jatani, he's a pastor, and he he wrote this. He drew this little sketch while thinking about the story uh, of Jesus teaching about fruit. And so he said, Christmas tree Christians are decorated with Christian symbols. We see like that star on top, that cross. Fake fruit masks an absence of real fruit. So there's some shiny apples, but they're fake and metal. Uh, It draws attention to itself. It has all those nice little lights. It is cut off from roots. Weekly watering needed to delay death. And eventually it's thrown to curb. I don't know whether to laugh or cry at that one. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yikes, yikes. And friends, sometimes the culture we create together is more likely to churn out Christmas tree Christians than it is to churn out like regular scraggly little trees that do bear fruit in season. Because sometimes we feel like it's not okay to show up with our scraggly tree self. And this is actually why Jesus' warning against judging goes with this discussion on discernment. Because sometimes we've created these cultures where there's so much judgment. We're like, if I show up as I truly am, I am not going to be, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be loved. So instead, we manufacture the shiny lights and the red, the red apples and the the shiny everything. We make sure to put the cross on before we go to church. Yikes. So friends, how can we together like, actually have, have the courage to show up as our true selves? And I don't know about you, but my true self sometimes feels a lot more like that scraggly Christmas tree. <laughs> it's just barely hanging on for life. <laughs> actually that's not quite accurate because it's not, it's not plugged in anywhere. I hope I don't feel like this tree. <laughs> but sometimes we feel like this, right? We feel like just a little scraggly plant. And that is okay. That is okay, because Jesus does not tell us to come with perfect fruit or a lot of fruit. Jesus says, just don't follow the people who are ready to eat you up, your fruit and all. So Jesus warns us about this because it's a problem. And like the other problem of, of warlike ways, this problem has been around for a really long time, not just in the church, but in the world. You think about it, false prophets and wolves, They come in every single sector of society. I think a lot of what people watch on the news, often we might be able to look at people and say, that's kind of wolfish behavior. False prophets with their own following, their own blame-filled story of who is wrong, who caused it, what you need to be afraid of, what needs to be done to fix it. It's a broad path, and there are wolves on it. We read in the book of Revelation that there will be a time where a political leader comes who deceives many in the church. It's a beast that rises out of the earth with two horns like a lamb. It's two horns like a lamb, so it looks like a sheep, but it talks like a dragon, scripture says. Its words are false, deceptive, creative, boastful, and blasphemous. Jesus warns us there will be leaders like this. But following those leaders will not bring you to a life of abundance. It does not lead to health, to life, to joy, to knowing and being known. It is not a life of love. It leads to fear, blame, and hiding the true self. Friend, we have been bitten by wolves. I have been bitten by wolves. Jesus here is inviting us to come and follow the good shepherd, who is also a lamb. He's a lamb who has been through much. He is a lamb who has been slain, the book of Revelation tells us. So the wounds that Jesus carries are not, the wounds that Jesus carries are not something that keeps distance between us, but rather the wounds that Jesus carries are direct ties to our own wounds. And within that tie of connectedness is also abundant healing. So we don't follow the wolves that bite, instead we we follow people who are sheep just like us, who maybe have been bitten, and whose wounds bring attention to Jesus' wounds, where there is healing. This is not the way of success, of power, of flashiness. This doesn't look super attractive. It's not even an easy message. How do you say this in 30 seconds or less? I don't even know. But it is a life, a life worth living with a way, a way that brings goodness, with a good shepherd who cares for your soul. This brings us to number three in your notes. I experience God saving now and in the future when I let Jesus love me. I experience God saving now and in the future when I let Jesus love me. And I forgot the two most important words there let Jesus love me to life. Let Jesus love me to life. This picture ends, uh, the passage ends with this picture of a very unhappy surprise. Let's go ahead and go to verse 21 as you get ready to close. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Friends, why might there be some people wanting to celebrate in the world to come, the kingdom of heaven as it comes to earth? Why might there be some people who are held at arm's length? Is it because they're described as evildoers? Depending on your English translation, might say lawlessness, lawless ones, or unrighteous. This is actually Matthew's favorite word to use to describe um, unrighteousness. I'd say no, it's not necessarily because they're sinners. In fact, if sinners are not welcome into the kingdom of heaven, none of us would be there. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Jesus even teaches us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So clearly sin as we bring it to God is not a barrier to inclusion. God can and does forgive sin all the time. So why? why the distance? This phrase right here, I never knew you. I never knew you. This past Wednesday um, in our Ash Wednesday service, Pastor Yumiko invited us to picture God creating the first humans as God took the soil, the dust, the dirt of the earth, breathed God's life in it, and created people like you and me from it. It's this picture of divine closeness, of very breath being shared as God breathed. It's this picture of deep connectivity. And from that wonderful place in the garden, eventually Adam and Eve chose the path of least resistance. They chose the path of fear and distance, and eventually they find themselves naked and ashamed and hiding instead of the path of love They hide their true self from each other and from the Lord who walks in the garden to be with them. Friends, this is why Jesus uses such urgent language. It's because he's saying, know me, let me know you. It's not about the flashiness of your life or work or whatever you achieve in this life. It's not about the brilliance or power or scope of whatever you try to accomplish at your workplace or serving in the church or in your family. It's not even about your name dropping, right? The leaders in this passage are like, we prophesied in your name. In your name we drove out demons. In your name we performed many miracles. See, all this name dropping. There's there's so much name dropping, but there's no knowing. You see, the only way I can explain this is I think about how sometimes there can be a disconnect between our true self, who we are, and the false self. The false self that we sort of project onto others, or we, we try to build up or try to live from. And friends, the false self is not really us, right, it's just a mirage. A mirage cannot be saved, a mirage cannot be healed, a mirage is not going to be invited into the kingdom of heavens. Only our true self that little itty bitty self who we are deep down inside that can be healed. That can be forgiven. That can be brought into God's kingdom now and later. The day of crisis, friends, there's more than one day of crisis. It's not just suddenly when we die and one day when we stand at the throne of judgment. There are many days of crisis in our lives. If you think about a tree, hurricanes come and blow off fruit that go onto the ground and are cracked open and you see what they really look like, right? You have kids who climb up the tree and they might shake it a little bit and we might have fruit coming down. There's days of crisis where fruit falls off and we look inside, we open it up and we say, wow, there's some worms in there. Some of this is rotten, and that is an invitation for us to go to the one who wants to mend. So here I am, no filter, just my scraggly little, spindly little branches. This is my true self. Know me. You see, friends, when Jesus knows you, Jesus loves you. God knowing you and God loving you are one and the same. To let God know you is to let God love you. As God's love reaches past our defenses, our ego, the masks we wear, down to our true self. Will you let God love you to life? Will you let God love you to life? When I was um, growing up in the 90s, Graduated high school in 1999, and there was this one singer-songwriter that a lot of my friends uh, really liked. And um, his career, I think, took off more in the 80s and 90s. He was a CCM artist, and he was just a farm boy from the Midwest. He was a poet and a musician, and he had uh, had this way of being that was really open and honest and raw. If you've ever heard the song, Our God is an Awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, he reigns. From heaven above. And now the song's gonna be totally in my mind, and I have to finish the melody. Dum ba da dum bum bum. Okay. <laughs> if you've ever heard that song, you're probably not likely to forget it. It's extremely catchy. It was written by this man, Rich Mullins. And As his music began to sell, he actually set up all his money affairs in a blind trust, so he never ever knew how much money he made. And he gave all the administration of it to a local church and said, give it all away. And they paid him just a modest teacher's salary every single year. This man, some people have called him a modern-day saint, he was a real human. He struggled with addiction. He learned to live with deep, soul-crushing loneliness. He felt the disconnects and the injustices of life deeply. Later in his life, he moved to First Nations land to teach music to children there, but he kept writing his own songs. His life struck a chord with so many people, pun intended, And he inspired the life of of even Christians and activists like Shane Claiborne, who work for Justice and Peace. He died when he was 41 in a car accident um, in 1997. But his impact on Christian music remains today. All these Christian artists and bands, everything from Cademan's Call, Amy Grant, Jars of Clay, Michael W. Smith, Third Day, Hillsong United, the list goes on and on and on. They've all covered his work. This is what he said, this raw, honest man, who didn't like the trappings of fame, who wanted to live simply, who gave everything he had, he said this. Oh, and there's this picture. You can see he's kind of a kind man, a little worn around the edges. He said, look at us all. We are all of us lost, and in all our different ways of pretending we all fool ourselves into the very same hell. Look at the cross. We are all of us loved. And one God meets us all at the point of our common need and brings all of us, all who will let him, salvation. Friends, God wants you to be mended from ways and from people that cause harm. Will you let Jesus love you to life? Let's pray. God, thank you for being a good good god thank you for caring not just about our life in the world to come but caring deeply about our life now in fact we can tell you care about the afterlife because you care for us now you want us to walk in ways that all can feel like a tight squeeze but bring us to life lord whatever place in us needs to be loved into life needs the breath of your spirit on it so we can bring our true self before you, rotten fruit and all. I pray that your spirit would breathe on us, breathe on us. What other place, Lord, we are uh, unsure about, um, decisions we're making in our life, Lord, we bring those before you. We say, Jesus, good shepherd, lead us home.